0: Hey, what's happening, guys? Good to be back with you. Cloud. with you here. We hope you are enjoying continuing along with us in the book of John on the New Vision podcast. So wherever you are, whatever reason you're listening to, I hope you've been tracking along with us. We're, ta- we're starting today in John chapter 9. Now, I've got the whole chapter. It's a lot of verses. It's actually 41 verses. So I'm not going to do a whole lot of housekeeping explanation. We're in John. We're going to continue to keep reading that. And so I've got this big chunk and let's just let God's word wash over us. And I've got one small point at the end, but because it's so much scripture, let's just focus. If you're driving, just just let God's word wash over you. And wherever you are, hopefully you can read for yourself. If not, just, just try to listen as best you can. So we're in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41, and I'm reading out of the ESV. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud, and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. And they said to him, Then how are your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight, and they asked him, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that I was blind, and now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us. And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. And so hopefully you've been able to focus on that huge chunk of John And there's so many things we could say about that. There's just so much ground. But I think one of the biggest points, which I would like to spend some time on, is just this guy's condition. This guy who was born blind, and uh, his disciples don't really get the picture here. So it's literally in the first couple of verses. So I was talking about this guy. He was born blind. And then verse 2, his disciples are like, Rabbi Jesus who sinned? Was it this man or his parents? In other words, what did he do to cause his blindness? And Jesus answers, he's like, you know, it's not that this man sinned or that his parents, but that God's works might be displayed in him. And so even the disciples have a wrong view of our suffering, a wrong view of the the bad, the calamitous You know, things that happen to us in this world. We all know we live in a fallen world. We don't have to talk about that very long, right? Bad things happen. There's diagnosis, relational strain, physical strain, spiritual strain, emotional issues, all sorts of, you know, terrible things that are frustrating. And it's just life in a fallen world. And so this guy is obviously living in a fallen world. And, you know, we tend to have a wrong view of suffering by making a one to one correlation between our actions and then the outcomes of that. Now, that, that that's not to say people do stupid things and then, you know, there's bad consequences, right? People can make all sorts of bad, cult, you know, sin and then, you know, a diagnosis comes or an injury or, or whatever it is. So, that's not to say there's never a correlation between what we do and the the suffering that we have to go through, but that doesn't mean there's always a correlation. You see this all through the Bible, especially in the book of Job or or uh in Genesis with the story of Joseph many of you have heard him Joseph you know in his coat of many colors it's all through the bible that there's a, such a thing as innocent suffering there's suffering that is not necessarily due to something we have done or not done and and are deserving of it and so the disciples had a wrong view of suffering and we today often have a wrong view of suffering, myself included. I know when something bad or something frustrating happens in my life, the first kind of thought process without even really dwelling on it is this like, Oh God, what, what did I do? How can I correct this? Like you're, you must be doing something because I've done something and you want to speak to me this way. Like there's always this, like, what did I do to deserve this? And when you think about that, you know, when, when we go through something like, oh, God, what, what, what do I do? You know, if you think about that, it's actually an inverted health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. I don't know if you all have heard that before, but health, wealth, and prosperity is basically this theology that's like, you know, if you do good things and you just have enough faith and God will bless you and you'll have health, wealth, and prosperity and, you know, God just, you know, all that stuff. And so we see in the Bible that that's not true either, that we can have tons of faith and still have hard time in life. And, you know, that's just not the way God, God's talking about how we'll have suffering in this world. And so when we see, like, the disciples ask this question about, hey, who sinned? Was, th- did this guy mess up in order that you punished him by being blind or did his parents mess up? And that's why he's blind and you're, you're punishing that, basically. That's inverted of a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. It says, I do this, God does that. I do good things, God blesses me. I do bad things, God makes me suffer. And that is not what the Bible teaches. There's such a thing as innocent suffering. There's such a thing as righteous suffering, you know, all that. And so, uh, and obviously, there's such a thing as us being blessed when we have done nothing but sin and, and deserve nothing but suffering. And God blesses us. That's called grace. If it's grace, it's not earned. If it's earned, it's not grace. And so we see... God's economy is actually the opposite of what we tend to do by correlating our good and or bad actions into a direct outcome. And so all that to say they had a wrong view of suffering. We tend to continue to have a wrong view of suffering. And we see that Jesus is in control even over the bad things in our lives. And that's such a hard thing to say. Because God doesn't cause evil and God doesn't, he's not out to hurt us or anything like that, but God is in control even over those bad things. Jesus is in control even over the bad things in our life. Let's read that verse again. The disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, quote, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, it he was born blind, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So God bringing these events to pass in his sovereignty, he's in control over, meant them for good. That brings us back to that that famous Joseph text in the book of Genesis. Maybe you all have heard that story, and I encourage you to go check that out, the, the story of Joseph. He's wearing his coat of many colors, and his brothers leave him for dead, and he ends up in jail. His life is kind of ruined, but then God redeems that. And anyways, he, he, he's reunited with his brothers. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, there's this famous line that we all the time in church, I, this is one of my pet peeves, people misquote this. So he finally gets reunited with his brothers and they're scared because they had really sinned against him. And Joseph says, as for you, you know, my brothers, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So in other words, like Joseph, he, he was sent to Egypt. He was in prison, but he ends up being in charge. And then the nation of Israel gets saved out of the famine and the drought and all that. And so, and his brothers are scared that he's going to punish them back. And he's like, no, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for, in other words, meant it, it being the things that transpired, the things that took place, which are not ha- not happy things. He gets beaten up and left for dead and, and goes to prison. Then he gets set up with Potiphar's wife. And it's just a mess, right? It for good. God meant it for good. And so Jesus here, he's saying similar thing. It was not that he sinned. God meant it that his works might be displayed in him. And so we can go on and on about that for forever. But I think that that teaches again that Jesus is in control even over the bad things in our life. Uh, Brady said, you know, this is dating this podcast, but a couple weeks ago that, you know, Jesus went through the temptation in the desert. He was actually drawn out into the desert by the Holy Spirit, not to tempt Jesus, but to test him. So God always has a, a, a bigger, better, you know, there's a dual purpose to the events in our lives. If they're good or they're suffering, Satan and the enemy means them for evil to tear us up and to make God look bad. But God means it to test us and to bring about his own glory. And that's exactly what Jesus says here in verse 3, that the works of God might be displayed in him is the reason he was born blind, God's glory. And so when it comes to the suffering or frustrating things in our, our lives, we need to ask better questions. Instead of asking, why did this happen to me? You know, who's to blame? Is it my fault? Is it my parents' fault? You know, is it society? We should instead ask, where is God in this situation? What is he up to? What may be his glory that ultimately may shine through this? You know, so those are the questions that I leave us today and challenges for us. Where is God in this situation? What is God up to? What's his purpose? How may he be glorified through this? And so I hope those questions are challenging to you. And ultimately, that's the biggest question. He'll go through the ultimate suffering. And say, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" To identify with us who go through suffering, who go through frustrating times, and then He uses that for ultimate glory. Because now, because of that, we we get to be a relationship with God because of what Jesus has done on the cross—the ultimate suffering. As so I hope that encourages you today, and come back again for the next episode, and we'll talk more about the Book of John. Y'all have a great day, and we'll see you then.